Thanks so much, Greg. And um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's fantastic to be with you, even though it's, uh, it's only virtually like this. Uh, like Greg said, I'd love to have uh, been in the room with you to see you face to face. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a joy to be with you all the same. Uh, this is a picture of my family. I think they're going to put one up now. Uh, that's Sachi, my wife, and my two kids, Jude and Tandy. And uh, like Greg said, we've just recently relocated to, uh, to Johannesburg. We are currently almost, I think it's almost uh, our, our, our second year in Johannesburg. And um, I'm giving a lead to the God First um, four-way story. And it's a joy to be with us, with you guys. And, um, and so um, I'm also a, a marriage officer. It's one of the things that I do is marry people. I get the joy of being able to do that quite frequently, actually. And one of my favorite things about marrying people is, um, and there's lots of great things about marrying people, you, the, the vows and the, the, the reception afterwards, and there are loads of cool speeches. But my favorite bit is the bit when the, when the bride walks down the aisle. And, and I always get to stand right next to the groom. And so I, I get to have a close-up picture of, of what's happening when the, when the bride comes down the aisle, and, uh, and, and I get to see the groom's reaction. And the amazing thing is that I've never ever seen a groom that's indifferent. Uh, I've seen grown men cry. I've seen them uh, literally being bowled over by the radiance of their bride. Um, I've seen guys make all sorts of exclamations like, yo, 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 just overwhelmed at the radiance of their bride. And, and despite all of these many um, kind of grooms that I've seen over the years, none of it really compares to the response of Jesus to his church, who is his bride. And so I want to draw your attention to a passage of Scripture where the church is defined as the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, because this is how Jesus responds to the church. He gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the were to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so this passage today, while it's used often in weddings, it's actually, Paul says, it's actually about Christ and the church. That's what it's actually about. And it's an amazing reminder about who the church is and what we are called to do. Um, I remember watching this movie called Unknown. And in this movie, Unknown, it's a, it's a movie where Liam Neeson stars as, 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 this, um, as this guy who, he wakes up at the beginning of the movie. It's a spoiler alert. This is what's happening in the movie. He wakes up at the beginning of the movie. His wife is with him, and she just runs out of the car. Uh, he has this accident. He's knocked his head. She, she runs off. He doesn't understand why, she's run, why she runs off. And then he goes walking around, and then the police start chasing him. And then uh, these, these kind of spy people start chasing him, these guys that can fight really well. And uh, throughout the whole movie, Liam Neeson is on the run. Right until the end of the movie, he's trapped in this dark um, place, and this spy guy is trying to get him, and uh, this guy is about to get him, and Liam Neeson is running for his life. And then, right to the end of the movie, he knocks his head again, and he remembers who he is. And, and in this remembering of who he is, he discovers that he's actually a spy himself. He's the top spy. He's like a CIA agent. And he's got all sorts of ninja moves. And then the music changes. And the hunter becomes the, the hunted. And Liam Neeson just turns around and starts dishing out all of these spy moves. And it's an amazing reminder to me 
that we as the church, we need to remember who we are. When, when we are reminded about who we are in Christ as the church, we're powerful. We're a powerful church. So let's turn together and uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then you just skip a verse to verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so five, five big ideas, five words that remind us who we are. And the first thing is that we are called out ones. We are called out ones. Have a look again at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. The church. And that word, the church, literally translated is the called out ones. It's the word ecclesia. We are, we are ones who have been called out. The, the, the church compromised, is, com, is comprised of people who have been marked by God's love, pursued by Him, and, and we were called. Something dramatic happened in each one of our lives. The, the, the church is not primarily a building. As we know, my kids sometimes will say, well, Mom, are we, going to, are we going to church today? And my wife such will say, no, no, we're not. We're going to G1. And then they'll be like, what do you, what do you mean G1? What do you mean we're going to G1? What's the difference with church, G1? And she'll say, no, we are the church. We are the called out ones. The church is made up of people, and something significant has happened in our lives. We were marked by God's love. He pursued us. I don't know if you've ever been pursued. Perhaps you're, you're a business guy and a, and a company headhunted you. You were pursued. Perhaps you're a, a, a sports person and, and you got picked for a big team, a, a national team, perhaps a national squad. You were pursued. Uh, perhaps you were just pursued romantically and you know that feeling. It's amazing. Christ pursued us. He marked us with his love and he called us out. That's what the church is. Something dramatic has happened in our lives. We were pursued by God and marked by his love. That's what the church is, people who have been called out. The second word is that we are holy ones. We're holy ones. The verse goes on, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. We were made holy. And, and this is so significant because I, I used to think that we are uh, Christians are, are people who, who, who kind of make themselves holy. Before I became a Christian, uh, I remember thinking, man, I could never be a Christian because Christians are so good, they're so holy, they, they kind of pull themselves up with their bootstraps. That was my thinking before I became a Christian. And um, uh, I, I, was, I was really, uh, I, I didn't know anything about Christianity. And, and I was 19 years old. I remember the day I became a Christian. I used to be part of a group of guys called the Spice Boys. Uh, and that's another story right there. But uh, it, it was a dodgy group of guys. And I remember the day uh, my family, they forced me to go to church. It was Easter. My mom forced me to go. I was 19. And uh, we went to church together. And I thought, I'd make it a productive visit, so I took some Malawi cob with me, which is like the finest weed in Cape Town. 
and I took it along with me to church, and I sold it to the youth group. I'm giving you an idea of the depravity of the person. And so, uh, and so I'm in the church. I sold some to this guy, and then I met his sister afterwards. It was pretty. She invited me back to church in the evening at another church building. Um, we went to the Baxter Theater. And so the evening, I'm just interested in the girl. That's what I'm there for. Um, I'm in the foyer of the Baxter Theater, and, they, and I want to talk to this girl, but they bring out speakers. So I hear the gospel being preached um, you know, with the speakers in the foyer. And it's just amazing because I get to hear for the first time, Christ loves me. He's, for, he's forgiven me. I don't have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And this message of God's forgiveness, I just sold kind of Malawi cop to this guy in the morning. And God's forgiveness over me was just amazing. I started weeping in, the, in, in this foyer. And then uh, the guy that I sold to, he's sitting over here, and he starts weeping also, but but because I'm getting saved. His drug dealer's getting saved, so there's no more supply coming his way. But, um, but I remember this message about Christ's forgiveness washing over my soul and just moving me. That's, that's who we are. That's who we are. I wasn't looking for him. Perhaps you're not looking for him, but his grace and his mercy can find us where we are sometimes. His forgiveness is, is, is transformative in our lives. But then I thought, oh, okay, now I became a Christian. I became a Christian that day. Now I have to start pulling myself up by my bootstraps. And, and so for the first couple of years, I think as a Christian, I thought, man, I really have to work hard. And, and, and so it, it would work something like this. In the morning, I wake up, and then I think, okay, I'm, I'm righteous. I haven't done anything wrong. But until like 8, and then I shout at a taxi driver who drives really badly, um, and I get to work, and I'm grumpy about something that was supposed to happen that didn't happen. And then I need to say a prayer quickly to just get re-righteous. And, uh, and, and, then, and then you do something else wrong, and then you say another prayer, and you, you go through the cycle of just bouncing all over the place, constantly having to get re-righteous. But, but, but that's not how the Bible describes our holiness. Christ gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for you. You were made righteous by the blood of Jesus, not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And, and so often I, we can walk around with this heavy load of self-condemnation on our shoulders. When Christ has said, I've given myself up for you to make you holy. He, he became sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. That's what the, what the Bible teaches. It's not through the, our obedience. The, the text says it's, it's through the obedience of the one man that the many became righteous. And so we are ones who are righteous in Christ. We, we, we are the holy ones because of what he's done for us. So that's the second word. We are holy ones. And counterintuitively, uh, this, this unconditional grace, actually, when somebody shows you unconditional love, it actually makes you want to love them in return. It doesn't say, you don't go, oh, great, I can just do whatever I want to do to you. No, no, you go, wow, I'm so grateful. It changes us. So number one, we are called out ones. Number two, we are holy ones. Number three, we're the body of Christ. Have a look at verse 23. Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, um, as the head of the church, Christ leads the church. He guards the church. He governs the church. He cares for the church. That's who Christ is. And in response, the church revolves around Christ. We follow his leadership. We receive his, gui his guidance. We, we uh, revel in his, his, guard, his, his, his guarding and protection over us. We, we are like a, like a band with one hit single. We keep making a big deal out of Christ. We build on Christ. We're defined by Christ. It's, it's, it's Jesus who's at the center of the church. And, uh, and, and, 
you know, lots of CEOs, I, I, knew, I knew a friend that was um, quite, a, quite a high executive in um, SAB, he would only drink SA, SA breweries, that's all he would drink, SA breweries uh, drinks, that, that's the only thing. Uh, some, some guys who lead um, uh, companies, uh, car companies, they only drive the car that they manufacture. People who, who run companies, clothing companies, they'll just wear the clothes that they make, they identify with their organization. Christ identifies with his organization, the church, in a very special way. In one sense, he's in charge of everything, right? Everything that happens in the world, all the unrest, everything, nothing, everything comes past his desk. He's in charge of everything, but, but he only has one bride. He, he only has one church. He, he says, I'm the head of the church. There's a very unique relationship over here. He, he's not the head of, of all the institutions in the world. He's not the head of government. He's not the head of, of the business sector. He's only the head of the church. And so he's got a, a special concern for, for the church. The, the person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, found this out the hard way. He was persecuting the church. And Christ literally came and knocked him off his high horse. And when Jesus appeared to to, to Paul, who was called Saul back then, he didn't say, listen, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting an organization that I'm loosely affiliated to? I visit on a, on a Sunday for an hour and a bit uh, that I care about mildly. No, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Literally saying, listen, this is part of me. This is, this is, this is my body. I'm the head, but this is part of me. When this hurts, I hurt. And so two applications over here. Number one, you couldn't be closer to Jesus than you are if you're part of the church. If you're part of the body of Christ, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more, to make you love you less. He cares for you. You're part of his very body. And the, sec the second application is that this is so important to Jesus. The, bo the body of Christ is so important to him. I wonder, is it important to you? Is it, is it important to us? Do, do you prioritize the church? Are you willing to take a bullet for the church? With all the church's imperfections, man, are you, are, you, are you for the local church? Christ is considered the cornerstone of the local church. That's how he's described in Peter. Um, Peter quoting Isaiah says he's the cornerstone. We're, we're like stones also, but he's the this thing is built on him. He's like the head. He defines everything. And in our lives... Before I became a Christian, I built on different things. I was defined by different things. But then when you become a Christian, perhaps you used to de define everything in your life by your career. You perhaps used to define everything by relationships. That was like the cornerstone, the, the romantic relationship that you had. That was what you built your life on. Perhaps it, uh, it was family. Perhaps it was kids. And so, sometimes what happens in our lives is that we, we build on, on one cornerstone, Perhaps it's relationship, the relationship fails, and, and, and then we have another relationship, that one fails, and, that, and then we decide, okay, I'm going to build on a different cornerstone. I'm going to choose career, it's more manageable, I can, I'm in control of it. And, and, and we can go from, from one cornerstone to another. When you become a Christ follower, you're called to build on the foundation, to allow Christ to define you. He's the head. We build on Him. And, and I don't know if you notice the language in this passage. It's emotive language, right? It's love language. It's, Christ is, the, is like a husband to the church. He's meant to be precious to you. And, and perhaps, perhaps you're saying, man, I, I, I want that. You don't have that yet. Perhaps you want that today. He, he, when, when you get saved and you get rescued by Jesus, it's like that. You, you become like, wow, I can't believe. You, I'll give everything. I'll give everything. I'll go all in and I'll build on this. It's like, a, it's like perhaps this illustration will help. Uh, uh, you've got a, you've got a life-threatening illness. And a doctor says to you, here's what you can do. 
here's what you can do. I know another doctor all the way on the other side of the world, and, and this doctor can save your life, but it's very expensive. You're going to cash in everything that you own, everything that you had, all the retirement annuities, everything to get to this doctor. And you say to yourself, okay, I, I'm going to have to cash in everything, the savings. I'm going to have to sell the car. I'm going to have to sell the house. Wow, that's, that's a lot, but what good is the car if I don't have life? What good is the house if I don't have life? And, and so the, the, the doctor, the savior, becomes precious to you because he's able to rescue you and save you. And, and you can make that decision where you are, you know, to follow him, to put your faith in him, and to build on him, and to keep building on him. So we are the body of Christ. And then, number four, we're a people on a mission. This, this is another application of being the body of Christ. The, the, the body, like a physical body, has got a mission. Every, everyone's body is made to do stuff, made to unpack cards and, and lift up things and work. You know, we're, we're, we've got a, a mission to do with our, with our bodies. And, and Jesus says the church is a powerful body. The, the church has got a powerful mission. It's not just the nobody. It's not just like this weak body. No, it's a, metaphorically, obviously, it's a, it's a powerful body. He said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's what he said. Jesus is a powerful body. And you're, 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 this, you're this body with Christ at the helm who's got a mission to transform the world. Jesus uh, said in, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You're, you're, like, you're like salt, and in those days, they didn't have refrigeration, so the salt would get rubbed into the meat to keep it from rotting. That's what you are in society. You're, you're, the, you're the thing that preserves society, keeps it together. That's what the church is. You are uh, the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, don't forget, that's what you are. Don't let the salt lose its saltiness. How can it made, be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. So that's our, that's our marching orders, right? We're supposed to preserve society. You are the light of the world. The, the, the light, if this room was dark right now, you could light a candle and it would extinguish the darkness. The darkness is not stronger than the light. The light is stronger than the darkness. That, that's what the church is. We're like light in the darkness. When everything's falling apart, the, the church is mandated to be light in the darkness. Not other organizations, not necessarily government, not, 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 not business. The church is mandated to be light in the darkness. That's the marching orders that we got, right? You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You're like a town built on a hill for the rest of the town. Like a city within a city, showing the city what it could be like if Jesus was Lord. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Don't, don't forget, you're the light. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Uh, friends, we, we need to guard against two temptations in the church. The, the one is the temptation of isolation. The other is the temptation of assimilation. Isolation is, is the, the proclivity that, that some of us have to, to, to distance ourselves from the evil culture. And so we say, the culture's bad, the culture's evil, I'm going to distance myself, I'm going to isolate myself. It's like you lob bombs over to the culture, you're bad, you're evil, and we stay in our bomb, it's like a bomb shelter church, which Jesus says you're not. You're supposed to be like salt rubbed in to the meat to keep it from rotting away. And so, and so for some of us, our proclivity is going to be to, to isolate, and we're going to have to work hard at having non-Christian friends, we're going to have to work a bit harder at 
being in the culture. The culture is rotting. It is evil, but we need to be in it like lights in the darkness. We're going to have to work hard at perhaps engaging secular issues that, that, might be, that we might consider tiring or exhausting, social issues in our country, in our context, that we go, oh, wow, I don't want to talk about this again. No, no, no. Salt needs to get rubbed into the culture so we can't isolate ourselves. For others, the, the danger is going to be to assimilate to the culture. If the one is isolation and it's like a bomb shelter, the other is like just mirroring the culture. So everything that's happening in the culture happens in the church. If there's materialism in the culture, well, then there's like a prosperity gospel in the church and making money and being wealthy and healthy is the only thing that matters. If there's, if there's racism in the, in the culture, there's racism in me. No, no, no. But, but, but what Jesus says is you can't just assimilate. You can't mirror. No, you're, called to, you're called to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what Jesus says. You're a powerful body that's meant to engage in the issues in the world, but in a unique way. Christ is at the, at the helm. Christ is doing a new thing. What this boils down to, and, and Paul puts it like this. He says, you're bringing in a new creation. That's what we're doing. The church is bringing in, ushering in a new. Before I was in Christ, I used to think about sex very differently to, to how I think about it now. There's a newness that I'm bringing in. That before I used to think differently about work and career and family and, and, and cross-cultural, everything is different now. I, I think about it, I'm bringing in a newness. We've been made new as individuals, and we're bringing in this new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Hallelujah. We are ones who have been made new as individuals, and we're ushering in this newness into our spheres of influence, into our society. And then, lastly, we are radiant ones, radiant ones. I love that word radiant um, in verse 27. It's a, it's a wonderful word. I wonder who's radiant in your life. Perhaps you've got photos of your kids in your wallet, or you've got uh, photos of them in your office. They're radiant to you. Perhaps you've got a picture of your fiance in your wallet. She's radiant to you. Uh, Jesus says the church is radiant to him. We are radiant ones. And that word radiant is the Greek word endoxa. Endoxa. It comes from the word doxa, which is glory. And, and the word glory throughout the Bible is always linked to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God filled the temple, and, and His glory rested in the temple. And, and, and wherever the glory was, the presence of God. The people loved it. They relished being in the presence of God. And then the, the presence of God left the temple. You remember all of that because of the people's idolatry in the Old Testament? And, and it was a horrible moment in the history of, of the people of God. But then the New Testament authors are saying, He's back. He's back. The presence of the living God is back with the people of God in the church. The glory of God has come amongst the people of God. It's not just in one space in the temple. It's not just for one person, Moses, on some space. It's on all the people of God. It's for me. It's for you. The presence of God is amongst us. The glory of God. That's what it's about. The church is a spiritful church. We have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God makes the things of Christ. It appropriates the things of Christ for us. So you can know about grace. I can know about grace in my head. But the Spirit of God makes it real to me. It makes it, Paul puts it like this. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's as if I, I can know it in my head and yet not, I not know it in my heart. But the Spirit testifies with my spirit who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. I can know I'm called to be on mission, but I can just feel I don't, I don't have the courage to speak to people. But, but when, the, when I'm filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is like the, the hand in the glove. There's power 
for, for, for mission. Spirit of God is able to tell us who we are. Like Liam Neeson in that movie who forgot who he was, that he was, that he was actually an agent, that he, had, that he had some cool moves. The Spirit of God comes on us as the church and empowers us so that we, we know who we are with this powerful body able to bring transformation, bringers of grace. That's who you are. You are a forgiven one. You are a radiant one. You're a holy one. And the Spirit of God comes and reminds us of all that we have in Christ. So let me just pray for us in closing. Spirit of the living God, won't you come and fall fresh on us? In these days where there are so many things that can discourage us as ones who follow you, we want to pray that you would come and remind us once again of your purposes for your local church. We pray that you empower us so that we would know your grace, that we would know the power of your spirit. Lord Jesus, you said to the disciples, don't go yet, don't go on the mission. You, you need to be empowered. You need to be clothed with power from on high. So we just pray for that. We pray the prayer the church has been praying for thousands of years. Come Holy Spirit. Come and rest on us. Come and empower us for your plans, for your purposes, for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.